This episode is sponsored by Kendo UI. Kendo UI allows you to build better apps faster. They have a comprehensive library ranging from data grids and charts to buttons and sliders. Plus, you can use their components as plain JavaScript as well as in Angular, React, and Vue. They have a large collection of customizable popular themes like Bootstrap and Material. Go check them out at javascriptjabber.com slash kendoui. Hey, this week on JavaScript Jabber, I will be one of your panelists, Amy Knight, along with AJ O'Neill. Yo, 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 coming at you live from a not enclosed space in an office in Salt Lake. Cool. We have Chris Fernandez. Hey, this is Chris, the Vanilla JS guy um, from Boston, Massachusetts. We have a long lost panelist, Frosty. Hello. And I am in Nashville, Tennessee, like usual. And our guest today is Christopher Beekler. Did right. I say that right? Okay. Yes, you did. Woo! Hello from <laughs> Providence, Rhode Island. Let's close the show. That's about as perfect as it's going to get. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us what you are here to talk about today. Hi. So uh, let's see. I run closebrace.com, which is a tutorial and training site for JavaScript developers. Uh, I tend to focus on uh, mid-career developers who are looking to scale up a new technology like React, uh, Express.js, React Native is what I'm currently working on, all that kind of good stuff. In addition to the website, I put out a weekly newsletter, uh, Closebrace Weekly, which always has a short JavaScript tutorial. It can be anything from, uh, you know, newer ES 2015, ES 2017 stuff to uh, really basics like last week I did array.push and array.pop. Um, so that's, that's what I do. That's what he does. Awesome. So it also says, sounds like you are a fan of what I always say, and that's uh, you should get comfortable being uncomfortable. Yes, very much so. I think that, you know, one of the things... I'm a self-taught JavaScript developer, which means that I've spent a lot of time being uncomfortable while coding because it means I'm frequently scrambling to try to learn new stuff. I've worked for, I don't even remember how many startups, at least seven, and I've contracted for a bunch of different clients as well. And in those situations, you're very often faced with learning brand new things. For example, when I started working with React, I was dumped right into it by a client who uh, had never worked with it before either. And I told them at the start, I don't know this. And they were like, it's cool. Just learn it, get started. Uh, And I spent six weeks living in terror that I was going to be fired at any given second. But I think, I think that's an important part of the process. I think the, the pain and the difficulty is actually valuable and it's necessary. If you want to improve, I feel like if you're not if you're not having that experience, if you're not dealing with that kind of difficulty, then you're very likely not learning as you're either not learning or you're just certainly not learning as much as you can. You're not pushing yourself as much as you can. Totally agree. So I kind of came up with the saying, or I shouldn't say I came up with it. I kind of borrowed it and brought it into programming just from my background in figure skating. It was something that I really, really, really like to heart when I was skating and I just thought it applied to programming, kind of applies to anything really. It was something yeah. that coach had get given to me a long time ago. Yeah, for sure. That's, uh, that's interesting to have it related to sports. It's the same, uh, sort of a similar thing. A few years ago, I started running just for, you know, get in better shape, get in better health. And it was exhausting and miserable at the start. And I, wondered routinely, why am I doing this? Uh, you know, this is awful. 
and then eventually reached a point where, you know, I run five days a week. It's only a couple of miles, but my experience now is that there's still a level of discomfort there. Every single time I run, it doesn't ever disappear. You know, if you slow way down, then it becomes much more manageable. But if you're trying to keep your times up, there's always an amount you have to push through, but it's now become just a part of the run. And I don't have sort of the overwhelming feeling of like, oh God, this is awful. Oh God, why am I doing this? I actually spend a lot of time brainstorming on uh, stuff that I can write about for a clothes brace while I'm running. I think that that's sports and exercise, I think are a really good comparison and because it's, it's an interesting comparison because it's a physical pain, which obviously, unless you've got carpal tunnel syndrome or something, you're not dealing with when you're coding, but it's the same kind of having to push through and get used to some level of discomfort. I would venture to say too, in our industry, I mean, kind of in anything, if you're comfortable, chances are you're probably not growing very much. And in our industry, with things changing as much as they do, you really have to get good at learning things quickly, which means you, which just even more so means you have to get comfortable with that feeling of kind of being out of your element. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that, like you said, the, this industry changes amazingly fast. And I know, you know, uh, Chris Fernandi has plenty to say on the subject of sort of fly by night <laughs> JavaScript frameworks. But if you're not careful, you can miss entire things that are happening. Uh, I actually have a, a friend of mine who spent, forget the exact number, but something like 13 or 14 years working for one company, basically doing the same tasks on repeat for that entire time. And a few years ago, he sat down and was like, I'm, I don't want this job anymore. I want to move on and do something new and interesting. And he really struggled for several months, which is feeling like, JavaScript in general had completely passed him by. You know, it's it's something that you have to be cognizant of. You have to spend some time paying attention to what's happening. And if you don't, then it really, you can look up and be like, what is Vue.js? What is Gatsby.js? What is test-driven development? Even, uh, you know, people were doing it in JavaScript years ago, but it was not the level of popularity that it is today. So, Chris, this is actually a really nice segue into what I was hoping to pick your brain about a little bit. So you mentioned I obviously kind of have some strong opinions about frameworks and libraries and things like that. But one of the things I'm always kind of anxious about in the back of my head, I guess my biggest kind of challenge as a developer is being able to make sense of what are some new trends that I should pay attention to versus new trends that are just going to kind of disappear like a flash in the pan. We're really excited about this, but five months from now, no one's going to care. And the thing that really, I think always sits in the back of my mind is when I was first moving into web development, responsive web design was like a new, exciting thing. And I remember interviewing with, with someone who was like, Oh, this mobile thing is just kind of a fad. And I think it's one that's mostly done. So we don't really focus on it at all. And I declined the job, but I remember thinking like, wow, she's just going to totally miss this huge wave of stuff. Like she's just totally let this pass her by. And I'm always worried now that I've been doing this for a while that I'm going to be that guy because I'm kind of old and yell at the clouds and crotchety. So how do you kind of figure out what sorts of things you should pay attention to and which you shouldn't in an industry that is just so full of change at like a breakneck pace? So that is a, it's a super exhausting thing to have to keep up with at times. Uh, there is, and it's impossible, honestly, to keep up with every single thing. There are uh, technologies that I've seen the name of, and that's as, as far as I've 
swum into those waters. And there are other ones that I've, I've gone really deep on. For me, a lot of what I pay attention to is for one thing, if the technology has the backing of a multi-billion dollar corporation, that can often be a good sign that it's not going anywhere. Uh, you know, Angular is backed by Google, React is backed by Facebook. Both of those techs are, I think Angular is seven and React is five, or it might even be older than that. Those are going to be around. View not backed by any particular company, but strongly backed by the community. So pretty, pretty solid chance that that's going to stick around. The other thing I'll look at is how active is the community around it? Are there constant new plugins and modules and additions happening? Is the are the issues on GitHub being routinely responded to? And is there a lot of discussion happening there? Are people passionate about it? That can be a good sign. Sometimes things can look really active because a few top level people are talking about them or because there's a lot of lip service being paid to them. But if you go and actually look at activity levels around those technologies, they can be not nearly as active as you expected them to be. Is there a strategic lens to this at all? So that feels like a really good framework for evaluating. Is this going to be something that doesn't matter in a year? Like if I invest a couple of months of time really like diving deep into this, will that still be useful a year or three from now? But there's just so many different directions you could take your career that you can grow, that you can push yourself to be uncomfortable. In addition to just kind of deciding whether a specific thing is worth paying attention to, do you have any kind of thoughts or tips on how you kind of choose where to move your expertise or career? Just kind of thinking about, I don't know, how you want things to evolve for you professionally. Sure. So presently, most of my choices are made based on trying to communicate with my users and the readers of my newsletter. I'm up over 5,000 subscribers to the newsletter. I poll them relatively regularly on what they're interested in learning. Um, I don't get as much feedback as I would like from that group. I would really love to hear more directly from my audience, and I'm working on some other outreach approaches to, to help do that. Previously, a lot of what I chose to learn was client-driven. I was doing contracting for a long time, and it, it was a question of, this is what they want me to build, so this is what I'm going to build. That is not always super useful, but it has worked out well for me in terms of I needed to learn Angular 1, I needed to learn React. Those were all client-driven. So yeah, I mean, I think that that's a part of it. I think also a good approach as well is to look at what are people hiring for? What are people starting to hire? Particularly if you're looking for jobs or if you're looking for work, either contract or, uh, or not. I think that's something to be focused on. One quick thing before we move on to you, I just, again, would say focus on, like, those are all good things to consider. But the most important thing is just to learn as much as you can and get good at that process. Yeah, getting good at learning is a really important and valuable thing. But let's, oh, sorry. I agree with what Amy just said, because um, a lot of, I think, the best JavaScript engineers I know all started back in a time when all we had was MooTools and jQuery. And that's how we learned. And we, got, we, we had plenty of time to go on that level. And then we, had, we were able to mature into Knockout and Backbone and then into Angular and React and Angular and Vue and, and Ember. And so just whatever you're doing, like learn learn it well, you know, don't, don't just uh, phone it in on that is, is my take. No, for sure. 
Totally. I, I kind of wanted to um, change a little bit of what we're talking about, if we could. I want to ask Chris about Cole's Brace. Talk to us. Where did it come from? Why did you decide to do Cole's Brace? Who is it for? Give us kind of the origin of Cole's Brace. Sure. So um, I founded Close Brace in November of 2016. So we're coming up on two year anniversary. Basically, it came out of back in 2013. I put out a tutorial uh, with a ridiculously long name. It's called the, the Dead Simple Guide to Getting Started with Node.js, MongoDB and Express uh, or something like that. And I dot com. Uh, no, it's it's actually available at Close Brace, but uh, I wish I had registered the domain just the because .com. Yeah. so ridiculous. Yeah, but basically, the the reason I wrote the tutorial is that I was really looking for resume builders at that time, and I was interested in Node, and I hadn't ever touched Node. It was something I knew existed, but I'd never looked into it for any amount of time. So I started doing my own research and my own learning, and I found that it was really problematic finding sort of mid-level tutorials. There was a million tutorials telling you how to get Hello World running in your Node server. And there was a bunch of tutorials that then were like, here's how you're going to build a whole blogging platform on Express with, and they would dump like 250 lines of code at you with a paragraph of explanation as to what the, the code did. And I found that intimidating and difficult to learn from. I did eventually work my way through it by building a bunch of stuff myself and reading a ton of different tutorials and everything else. At the end of it, I was like, that was frustrating. And I would rather other people not have to go through the same thing I just went through. So I wrote a super long, ridiculously detailed tutorial. <laughs> it goes through Express. It, you know, you install ex using Express Generator and all that. And I went through and literally told people what every line of the major uh, app.js file was doing. It explains how the, the routing works and all that, and then talked about hooking it up to MongoDB and then getting some of your data displaying on the front end. No React, no nothing like that, just you know, express views. So I put that out and it got picked up by a few places. JavaScript Weekly, the newsletter, picked it up and, and ran well, it. Well, it, it was full of buzzwords, right? You have yes. Express, you got Mongo, you got no, like yep. That yep. was a that was a super, super buzzwordy title. It was a good idea. Yeah, it was it was the right time too. You know, it was a it was a period of time where I think an awful lot of people were like me. They were like, "Oh, this Node thing is actually legit. Like, you can run real websites on this, and you can build real applications with this." And so, let's learn a little bit about it. And also, uh, NoSQL DBs were starting to get a lot more attention paid to them and that kind of thing. So, I think I hit it the right time, and it got picked up by a bunch of different places. And I had posted this just on my personal website. And all of a sudden it was doing like 50, 60,000 page views a month for mm. this one tutorial. I'm like, mm. uh, okay. Yeah, wow. So basically I, I wrote a SQL tutorial about building a REST API. I wrote a couple of other smaller tutorials. Uh, and then I got swallowed up with contract work and didn't touch writing for a while uh, on the technical side. When I decided that I didn't want a contract anymore and that I wanted to start my own business, I was casting around for ideas you know, what do I want to do? What should I build? Should I build an Instagram clone or, you know, what? And I kept coming back to the tutorials because what I really enjoyed was helping people to make the breakthroughs that they needed to, to learn this stuff and feel comfortable with it. I had gotten a ton of responses to my tutorials. I was still getting at that time in 2016, a ton of responses to those tutorials. And it felt like, you know, I've had this career, I've been working in web development in one uh, form or another for 21 years 
it's been really good to me. I got, I got very lucky in some of the startups I selected. I've been through two exits. You know, overall, I've had this great career and it felt like it would be cool to give something back to that community. So that was kind of the genesis of Close Brace was, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build this site. I'm going to write tutorials and I'm going to try to see if I can put together something that I can eventually make a living from. Uh, I was lucky enough in part because of those uh, startup exits to have some savings that I could live on while I was doing that. Uh, in addition to my wife's income. So, you know, I sat down with her and we talked it out and she's been hundred percent supportive the whole way. And uh, we've been doing, I've been doing that for, like I said, almost two years now. And it's, uh, it's going reasonably well. It's uh, the site still needs to monetize more than it has, but uh, I'm continuing to work on that, continuing to grow uh, the audience, which allows for sort of sponsorship opportunities and everything. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I really enjoy it. How's the growth going? Like, like, uh, not like numbers, but like percents, like, is it, is it going well? Uh, it's going extremely well, actually, especially in 2018. The, the first year I was doing a lot of sort of, if you, if you build it, they will come. And so it was, I was putting out, I put out a massive, massive tutorial course, which I actually don't necessarily recommend. I think it's too long and maybe a little bit intimidating for people. Um, but it's basically, it teaches you from the ground up how to build an entire API in Node and Express and then connect to that API with the React front end uh, with Redux actions and everything. It's uh, very in-depth. I think it's a very good course. The people who have taken it love it, but I think it's a little, you got to have some time. However, uh, growth this year, I've focused a little bit more on actually getting, getting the word out without totally sharing numbers or anything. My newsletter audience has grown by uh, 500% just since January 1st. Wow. Um, so it's been, it's been a really significant amount of growth and I'm very, very happy with that. It really, after a year of sort of building the content and not having anybody show up to read it, it's been really nice to get a lot more people involved. Are you partnering up with people like of you person, an angular person, or are you keeping it kind of in-house for now? Or what's, what's your plans on that? For right now, it's entirely in-house. I would actually love to do exactly what you're talking about. I think it would be really cool to expand out and uh, be able to offer more tutorials faster. I'm not necessarily looking to directly borrow like the egghead model, for example, with subscriptions or uh, that kind of thing. Right now, what I'm doing is just some of the tutorials are free and the ones that are not free, you just pay for the whole course. And that's, uh, that's it. All the tutorials are full text, full video. And right now I do all of it myself. I build the app, then I write all the tutorials and I use that writing as a script and I do the video recording and then I do all the editing myself. So there's a, there's a lot of work going on there and it would, one of the biggest frustrations because of the amount of work that goes into it is that I can't do more. Uh, I would love to be covering more topics and putting out more stuff faster, but that becomes really complicated. Yeah, it's a problem with scale, man. You're, you're one person. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so that's, you know, part of the goal, like I said, is to, to get the site, if I can get the site generating more revenue, then uh, I can, I could bring on somebody, for example, to do the video editing and, and that frees up more time for me. Or I could bring on somebody who is an expert in view because I, I have literally installed it and played around with it for 10 minutes. And that's my entire experience with view at the moment. So I would not be qualified to do a tutorial on it. I'd have to spend a while learning it first. Maybe you're just overthinking it. I mean, I think 10 minutes is pretty sufficient. It's a small library. <laughs> That's true. It's, uh, it's not as complex as, uh, as React or as uh, the new versions of Angular. So yeah, just dive in. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. 
Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. Yeah, a lot of times when I teach something, I learn way more than the people I'm going to teach it to. So I think maybe I you're the right person. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely possible. I'm, I'm literally doing that right now with React Native. I felt fairly comfortable trying to build out a course on that, even though I hadn't used it because at least I know React. Um, but as it turns out, there's a lot of new stuff to learn there as well. Um, it's still pretty cool to, if you know React, you can be up and running with a prototype mobile app in like a couple of hours, which is really fun. Um, so that's the, the new course I'm building right now is called Dead Simple React Native. And um, the goal there is to basically go like, hey, do you know React? All right, cool. You can be making mobile apps like next week. Hmm. So there are so many different resources out there right now. Like I feel like some of the most popular ones, like you were talking about Egghead, Pluralsight's really popular, Frontend Masters is really popular. Where do you think you kind of fit in there? So uh, it's a it's an interesting question because the landscape is definitely cluttered. The, you know, there's plenty of people out there doing this same kind of stuff. The way I feel like I differentiate myself a little bit is in the thoroughness. My approach is to get really granular and really deep. When I give people code, I don't necessarily explain always line by line, but I definitely explain what exactly this code is doing, how it works. I tend to focus a lot on uh, setup and making sure people understand the structure of the app and that kind of stuff. I think the other thing is voice. And I don't mean my radio voice that Chris Ferdinandi likes to point out, but more the... Um, Your beautiful radio voice. <laughs> more, more the tone and the approach you take, uh, you know... A, a good example is a guy like Wes Boss, who is an amazingly talented producer of, of tutorials. And he has a style that's going to work for a lot of people. He's very enthusiastic, but at the same time, he talks really fast. And he's sometimes that enthusiasm is not necessarily what people are looking for. Obviously, given his audience, many, many people are. But I think, you know, it just depends. You have to find the right people who click with you. It's like everybody, you can take 100 people and send them to the same university and they're all going to have different professors that they love and different classes that they love. And some of the classes that person A loves are going to be the same class that person B was just like, oh my God, I barely got through that. It was awful. And I think that's where voice comes in. That's where making a connection between the right uh, readers, the right people who want to learn and the right teacher is really super important. 100%. You know, I, I kind of do my own educational stuff too. And I, for a while when I started out, I was trying to copy folks like Wes Boss and a lot of the other folks that um, I've seen be really, really successful. And whenever I talk to my audience, eventually I kind of moved away from that. Whenever I talk to my audience about why they chose my stuff over the myriad of other options, it almost always comes down to the ways I'm different from those super successful folks instead of 
instead of the similarities. You know, so like one of the other big things, and Chris, I don't, I don't like, for example, you have those quick hits, which are awesome. And I love, and I share them with my audience all the time and they love them too over on, on clothes brace. Thank um, you. But like one of the, one of the big things I hear from my folks is so many of these courses sell like 80 hours of video content. And they're like, I am never going to get through that. Like, you know, it, it feels like you're getting a lot of value for your money because you get all this stuff. But then at some point you need to sit down and actually go through it. And one of the things I, I in particular love about your stuff, and this is probably because it's similar to how I like to share things, is so much of your stuff is like you can sit down, you can spend less than an hour. And a lot of times it's just literally just five or 10 minutes and you've learned something new that you can immediately start using to go build awesome stuff. So I don't know if that ever comes up when you talk to your folks, but I know it's for me personally, anyways, it's one of the things I most love about your content. It, it definitely does come up and it definitely is a conscious decision. I really wanted to keep the, especially the weekly JS quick hits. I wanted to keep those as quick hits. I don't want them to be the massive in-depth 25 minute videos that people have to deal with or mm-hmm. 25 minutes worth of text. Even the huge React course that I wrote uh, five minute, is called 5-Minute React because almost every single video in the entire series is around five minutes long. Awesome. Uh, so it's everything is just bite-sized. There's a lot of videos. There's 84 videos, not including the intro and outro, but each of them are five minutes and you can get in, you can do one a day if you want. You can do maybe three a day and, and still have only spent 15 to 20 minutes of your time total. Uh, there's a couple of videos that run like 11 minutes, but in a lot of cases, that's because I'm showing how to do something on Mac and on PC. So half of it skippable anyway. Man, good for you for doing that, by the way, because uh, most people don't, myself included. And um, it's nice because I, you know, the, the Windows folks, and I know you're one of them, tend to get neglected a lot with a lot of the tutorials. So it's cool that you give them some love. I have contract clients and I've had contract clients in the past where you literally can't run their stuff on Windows. It's if you don't have an OSX machine, you're in real trouble. So I tend to I tend to show both where I can. I my desktop is a PC, my laptop is a MacBook Pro, my phone is an Android. Like I'm super device agnostic, but yeah. So that's one thing that I think is valuable to some people, especially because I get a I get a decent amount of people from not from the US mm-hmm. and a, a huge number of people in, for example, India, Sri Lanka, a few other places yeah. are really Windows based and don't spend as much time in in OS 10. Mm, yeah, I could. Um... I could add something I didn't even think of. That's a good point. So I have another question because I feel like Egghead is pretty good about this. Pluralsight, so-so, front-end masters, their stuff wouldn't really apply. But what I wanted to ask about is, do you cover testing at all with these things that you're doing? Because I feel like it's one thing to kind of do a hello world, but and even the test can kind of be hello world-ish. But most of these kind of like tutorial sites just don't really get into more complex cases, which is when you get into trouble. And um, especially to like, I think create react app makes things a lot easier and stuff like that, but it's nice to kind of have some boilerplate tests to get you up and running too. So the answer is that I would like to cover it more than I do. Uh, five minute react has one or two tutorials that talk about unit testing they get you set up with Jest and build a couple of simple yeah. tests, but I do not thoroughly test every single component or let alone the backend API and everything. Dead Simple React Native has snapshot testing for every single page and component that's built in the app, but it's a very small, very simple app. It does not have unit testing at this time. I might add it at a later date to in like a, I guess you'd call it an expansion pack for the tutorial. It'll depend on 
how people react to the tutorial and whether they're looking for for more. One I of the things I love to see testing. <laughs> yep. One of the things I'm actually uh, really considering after I finish with Dead Simple React Native is doing uh, like an ebook specifically on test-driven development, or at least testing, unit testing, snapshot testing, et cetera, with Jest. It's frankly an area that I still need more experience in. I need to do more testing. I need to do more of it. I've worked with some clients that have done a lot, but most of the clients I've worked with have not been focused on it. Oh, that makes me so sad. <laughs> I know I know it's super valuable. And uh, the times when I've used it, I've found it really useful. So it's, it's a world that I want to get into. I would love to reach a point where I'm really doing TDD most of the time, writing the tests first and then building the code to match them. Yeah, totally. We, where I work now, work with a consultancy to kind of, because we don't have as much staff as we need. And I recently asked them to, if they could write tests for some of the stuff they did. And they wrote a couple tests, but they came back and said, well, we had to refactor a lot in order to write the test. I was like, yes, exactly. That's my point. (laughs) That's the the value of the testing. Yes, exactly. It's not just the test. It's the code that comes out when you think about testing. So this is an area I I, admittedly, I just suck at so bad. Can can you guys nerd out on that for a little bit and explain (laughs) why um, for folks like me who don't necessarily understand why having to, because that's one of the things that always drives me nuts when I write tests is like I end up, I end up refactoring code to satisfy the needs of the test more that like it's already working. So like, what's the, what's the benefit in that? Why is that a good thing? So I have an example of this that actually happened very recently where I was working on something and I was, I'm communicating with AWS, which is also new to me. But at the time I had built this little node module and I was instantiating the AWS client within the module. But then when I was trying to do testing on it, I was looking at it going, I can't test any of the AWS part of this because I don't want to pass like live AWS credentials through my test. So what do I do? And my thought on that was, well, I'm going to have to refactor the code so that I am actually putting together the, um, so I can use mocks, so I can mock the AWS client and mock its responses, which there's modules to do that. And I had to learn all that. But but now I have to go in and refactor my working code that successfully connects to AWS and does the stuff I want to do. And that was making me really nervous. I was talking to a friend of mine who's worked in all kinds of environments, but a lot in the .NET world. And he was like, yeah, that's, that's how you do it. You want to refactor that code so that you are not put, building the client within the module. You want to be building the client outside of it so that you can, not specifically for the testing purposes, but because that's a better approach to building that code. So it was kind of interesting for me to be wrestling with this scenario where I was like, oh, I want to make this test work, but I feel bad refactoring code exclusively to make the test work. But what actually happened is that the refactor was better code. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. I think my biggest thing, I am not like an industry veteran with like decades of experience behind me, but I've been in enough places to see that... (laughs) The places that do not value testing are usually in a very bad place. And the places that do value testing are in a good place. (laughs) And eventually it even comes back to the customers. I've seen situations where the code gets so hard to reason about and it's so brittle. It's so scary to touch because you don't have tests in place. 
that you end up like just repeatedly releasing bugs over and over and over again and customers will stop paying their bills which actually then like affects the business but just kind of like stepping back from that if it was up to me I would every greenfield project that I start would have ESLint in place and I would have rules for cyclomatic complexity I would have rules for max params and those kind of things would you know, make testing easier, it would make development easier. And and I feel like the biggest thing is if you are fortunate enough to be in a place where you have a little bit of a say-so as to when you're delivering things, then writing tests is just kind of part of what we do as developers. Like, I think somebody made the analogy recently, you wouldn't expect a carpenter to continually try to cut a piece of wood without ever like sharpening his tools like you just or you wouldn't want your house built with like crappy wood that hadn't been tested first before it was released to be sold so it's just part of doing our job and doing it well related to that i (laughs) i've looked at a handful of different tools to handle testing amy chris do either of you have kind of a preferred tool stack for that? So like if, if I'm someone who's looking to get into this, I don't want to say for the first time because I've, I've done some testing before, but I don't admittedly do not do it as much as I should. And I've been meaning to deep dive back into it for a while. Speaking of getting outside of your comfort zone. I really like Jest recently. I mean, I've used Mocha, Me I've used Jasmine, I've used Sign-On for mocking. But I, as of right now, I really like Jest. And then if I'm doing... React. I absolutely love Enzyme. For end-to-end testing, Puppeteer is pretty cool. But now that they've, um, as of last week, Cypress now has, and this is Cypress.io, they have support for IE11. That would be my tool of choice for like whatever you want to call them, smoke tests, end-to-end tests, integration tests, functional tests. I also am uh, pretty fond of Jest. I've been working with it uh, for a while now. I'm by no means a master Jest test writer or anything, but I like that it has the assertion language built in. You don't need a separate module for that. It's async await friendly, which is really cool. And I just think in general, it's it's easy to write tests with. It's easy to get up and running. It's, you know, Facebook's teams, Facebook's development teams are good. They're really good and they build good products. Awesome. Thank you both. Great. I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to check that out. Well, we are getting close to time. So I'm going to push us into picks. Is your job search stuck? Maybe you're not getting any interviews with employers. Or maybe you are, but no job offers. Or you may be new and not even know where to start. This is Charles Maxwood, and I'm releasing a new course and ebook on how to find a job as a software developer. The course walks you through the process of finding the types of companies you want to work for, getting their attention, and putting your best foot forward as the candidate they want. I've coached dozens of developers in looking for jobs and have been able to help several people find jobs within two weeks to two months. So whether you're new to development, can't find a great job that fits what you want, or are looking for remote work from an area without a strong tech community, I can help. Go to getacoderjob.com and sign up today. With that said, I guess I can go first to give people a chance to kind of get their stuff ready. And I'm going to pick, I think I saw this on Hacker News this morning, it is called Podflix, which is, I guess they're trying to say it's um, like Netflix, but for podcasts. And there are a ton of programming and tech podcasts that I had 
haven't heard about. So I am extremely excited about this because I am a huge podcast junkie. I'm always listening to them. I just kind of like to kind of, I don't know. I like to submerge myself in as much of this information as possible and just let it all soak in. So I'm excited about this list and I would uh, encourage people to check it out. And that is it for me. Chris, Fernandy, you want to go next? Yeah, absolutely. I um, uh, First one on my list um, is a um, command line tool. I actually, um, I, I used to be terrified of command line. I find myself working in it a lot more these days. But one of the things that absolutely drives me nuts is having to change directory all over the place to access various things. I have some that are nested really, really deep. Um, and the other day on Twitter, someone linked out um, this really handy little module, um, AutoJump that um, learns the paths to various directories as you navigate to them and then gives you a really simple shorthand. You can just jump to them by name after that. Um, uh, if you are a Homebrew user on Mac, you can install it that way. There's a bunch of other ways to install it too. But um, if you are a heavy command line user and you don't already know about this, um, uh, super, super handy. I've been rocking it for about a week now and absolutely love it. Uh, second one for me is guidelines for brutalist web design, um, which, uh, folks who kind of know my obsession with highly user focused as lean as possible web development practices won't find this surprising, but it's, um, a series art of series of articles and guidelines around, um, how to build really resilient, fast sites, um, and includes a bunch of recommendations like only using hyperlinks and buttons for clickable elements to, um, you know, performance as a feature and all sorts of like, just, they're probably a little bit like preaching to the choir if you're already on board with this stuff, but it was really, um, for me, it was just really kind of motivating and reaffirming. And then, uh, the last one for me for this week, um, uh, so when this comes out, this will have happened like a month and a half, two months ago now. Um, but for those of you who listen to hip hop, um, one of my favorite hip hop artists passed away a week or two ago, Mac Miller. Um, uh, just this phenomenal, uh, phenomenal artist who I've been listening to since, uh, um, man, since he was just throwing up videos on YouTube um, before SoundCloud was even really a big thing. Um, and the last performance he gave before he passed away, uh, it literally came out just a few days before he passed, was this um, NPR um, Tiny Desk concert, if you're familiar with that series. Um, it's really, really cool. It is not your traditional hip hop. It's just this super jazzy, really like string and piano heavy kind of thing. Um, there's definitely some explicit language. So if that offends you, I would steer away from it. But um, if you're a fan of hip hop, jazz or Mac Miller, um, you should definitely check it out. It's uh, one of the best things I've ever seen from him. And that's it for me this week. Awesome. AJ, you want to go? Yeah. So the first thing I'm going to pick is we all know about this terrible soda that is just not worth drinking known as Canada dry ginger ale. It's like ginger ale, except with none of the ginger flavor. <laughs> and uh, turns out that they made a ginger ale and lemonade. That's actually pretty dang good. So I'd highly recommend that if you're Costco or Walmart or uh, whatever it is, Whole Foods, um, carries Canada dry ginger ale with lemonade. It sounds like it's not a good idea. And let me tell you, I try new things all the time and most of the time I don't like them, but every once in a while I find a gem like this. 
so. I'm going to just limit it to that today. I'm going to let that sink in with real impact. Nice. Uh, Aaron, you want to go? Yeah, yeah. So uh, my first pick is the Albuquerque Bloom Festival. It's next, not this coming weekend, but the next one. It's like the biggest balloon show in the world, question mark. I don't know, it's big. And um, anyway, if you're looking for something to do in two weeks and you got time to drive out to Albuquerque, it's a uh, it's pretty good time. So I'm going to pick the Balloon Festival. And Joe Eames, if, if anyone knows Joe, um, Joe and I, it's it's all Joe. I'm just help. I mean, I'm just there, but... Joe's running a D&D um, night at his house, and he's starting to record the sessions, edit them, and put them online. So I'm going to pick Joe Eames' D&D YouTube channel. So um, I think it's going to be up in like the next day or two. So go follow Joseph Eames on Twitter. If you're, if you're a D&D fan and want to see some fun D&D, go check out Joe Eames' D&D channel on the YouTube. Those are my two picks. Cool. Christopher, you want to finish up for us? Sure thing. I didn't know you could pick beverages. Uh, this just opens up a whole new world for me. Um, however, I've got two picks and neither of them are a drink. Uh, for sort of a more technical side of things, uh, this may have been mentioned before, but I just ran into it. Uh, DocZ, which, or maybe Docs, which is sort of semi-auto-generated markdown documents for React apps. It's HTTPS docz.site. And it's really kind of incredible. It'll go through and figure out, you connect your components to it. Uh, it's super easy to set up and it'll go through and figure out any props that you're passing down and that kind of thing, what, whether they should be strings or Booleans or arrays. You can generate documentation very quickly with it and then manipulate that documentation, add your own text and that kind of stuff. Uh, I ran into it ran into it this afternoon and was like, wow, this is really cool. And as somebody who has done a lot of contract work and come on board on projects sort of in the middle of things, documentation is absolutely vital for people to learn your product and, and get up to speed as fast as possible. It's useful for uh, employees coming on board and it's also super important for end users. So definitely think that's a cool thing and, and worth checking out if you're working in the React realm. For a non-tech pick, I just read all three of the Southern Reach trilogy books from Jeff Vandermeer in eight days, I think. I just burned through them. Uh, the first one is called Annihilation and was made into a movie that came out earlier this year with Natalie Portman. I really liked the movie, which was why I picked up the books. Uh, they're super weird. So if you're not into really weird science fiction, it might not be a good fit for you. But if you are into stuff that's a little bizarre and particularly that is going to cause you to ask a whole bunch of questions and then only give you answers to like 40% of them, uh, that might work for you. I, I actually really like that in fiction when it leaves the reader to make a lot of their own conclusions. So um, Annihilation, Authority, and Acceptance are the name of the three books. The author is Jeff Vandermeer. You can go to jeffvandermeer.com. It's uh, V-A-N-D-E-R-M-E-E-R. Uh, definitely worth a look. Awesome. Thanks so much. That wraps us up for this week. We will see you guys next week. Thanks for Bye. having me. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.